Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. And these go up to Dharma Seed. Um, so uh, tonight, the uh, the topic that I sent out, if you get a on the weekly uh, news newsletter, news announcements, which you can get on by going to our site, um, insightberkeley.org. It's, it it uh, directs you how to get the weekly announcements. And as I wrote um, yesterday, the, the topic tonight is uh, transformation is possible. Okay, so I'll say more about that. Um, after uh, Eve offers a song. And uh, if you haven't been here before, Eve Decker is a wonderful Dharma teacher and singer songwriter who's here with us most, most weeks and uh, offers some, uh, some music to get us in the, in the frame of mind and mood and heart. So Eve, why don't you take it away? Thank you, James. <laughs> it's always really fun because you know, I get I get the same email you all do if you get that weekly email that says the topic. And then I usually have, you know, just a little bit of time to think about what do I think, what song do I think addresses this topic, having no idea what James is gonna say about it. <laughs> and you know, sometimes it we're it's just like we're having a mind meld, and other times it's like different perspectives, but it's always fun and interesting. So our topic is, um, yes, it's possible to transform. And, um, and so one of the things that I've learned as a student of the Dharma um, is that my transformation happens when I'm able to stay present, when I'm not um, reactive by pushing the present away, resisting it, or, you know, leaning out of it into the future, but just sitting present with it. Um, and I wrote a song a while ago called Sand Makes a Pearl. And when a lot of times life asks us to sit in the presence of difficult moments, um, and I was telling myself when I wrote this song, and I think this is part of my transformation, part of what's allowed me to become a more grounded and peaceful person over the course of years um, is to is to just stay present with the difficult, you know, um, just stay with it. And there's often a lot of insight that comes from the practice of tolerance, um, of curiosity, of investigation, you know, all these different kind of different kind of faces of mindfulness. So this is Sand Makes a Pearl. Tender, surrounded by a shell. But this armor doesn't keep the sand out well. With these greens in here, what are you gonna do? Will you curse the very water 
Where'd you come from? Will you curse the very water that you live in? Will you curse this water? Sand everywhere Sand as far as the sea is blue Sand right here In the middle of you Sand in the middle of so much To be grateful for Scraping and chafing and keeping you reaching out Miracles all around But this raw ache Nothing more than this right now There's no mistake Stay here Oh, stay right here Sand makes a Stay right here, right now With just what you've got Sand will make pearl There's no one to blame The ocean is innocent This is the sea, this is the scene we were born in If hiding and hating Retracting and blaming Help, we'd all been free long ago It's not that there's no one To blame It's that we know what we know Holes all around But this raw ache Nothing more than this right now There's no mistake Stay here, oh stay right here, sand makes a pearl, yes it does. Stay right here, right now, with just what you've got, sand will make a pearl. Thank you, Eve. Thank you so much. Well, we are on the same wavelength. As sometimes happens, as often happens. Mm. Yeah, sand makes a pearl. What a great transformation, alchemy. Um, so I wanted to talk about this this topic about transformation that, and that it's possible. And following up on um, last week and the last couple of weeks, uh, if you were here, you might remember that um, I said, I'm, I've been uh, reading about uh, these transformations of these uh, two white supremacists and white nationalists uh, who were very high uh, into uh, that that movement and uh, sharing about how they got into it, their mind was shaped by it, 
and that was their whole life. And then, and now there are voices for, um, for consciousness and compassion and caring. And, um, and I, uh, so it's been very much on my mind. How does that happen? How can that transformation happen? Uh, for those who weren't here and, and want to know the, the two books, uh, one is called Rising Out of Hatred um, by Eli Saslow. And uh, the other is called uh, The Cure for Hate by Tony McAleer. Um, and um, maybe I'll, I'll put that in later, but I want to take time right now. So the mind can be shaped, uh, how it can be transformed. And in some way, uh, we could say that all of Dharma practice is really about transformation. Uh, we come to the Dharma, usually often out of suffering and long to end our suffering. The Buddha, when he was asked what he taught, he said, I, I teach about suffering and the end of suffering. And uh, what a what a profound way to start a teaching because people can who are willing to see that they're suffering say, oh, there's somebody who's who's telling the truth, who I can relate to. Oh, I'm in suffering and there's a way out of suffering. That's how it was for me, as I've mentioned a number of times when I first heard the teachings and I was in a lot of suffering in my my own life, inner inner turmoil, inner conflict, and hearing uh, Joseph Goldstein say, it's really possible to, um, to find deep peace and happiness inside. And I said, I'm going for it. Um, and one of the, one of the teachings that always um, uh, moved me, a very simple teaching by the Buddha, and he said, if it was not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. But it is possible, and this is why I teach. Mm. I'm wondering, before I go on, uh, if you have your camera on, I can see you. How many people have been motivated by suffering to, um, to look for answers and uh, got them into Dharma practice. Raise your hand, we can just see. Yeah, so isn't that, isn't that interesting how we need suffering to wake us up? And from that understanding that it's possible um, that there is a way, there is a path to wake wake up the human condition as, as Marie Christine says, uh, wake up in the human condition from the, the human experience of, of the fact that there is suffering in this life. Um, once you see that that's possible, then the second step from on the Eightfold Path after wise understanding is wise intention or, or wise thought, okay, I'm going for it, as I said. But you can have all kinds of um, deeply sincere, profound ideas and even learn mindfulness 
early on and get hooked like like I was. Um, but it's a slow process for many people. This process takes a lot of patience. I'm remembering there was an old adage, the, the, the road to enlightenment is long, pack a lunch. Um, this is gonna be a process of purification, just little by little, because the habits have been conditioned so for so long this lifetime. And if you believe in many lifetimes, we've been practicing habits that don't serve us. And so when you see the truth, even when you understand the possibilities of real freedom, um, old habits die hard. And it's understanding that this is a, a process that requires determination and patience and uh, an effort um, and um, and deep connection to love for the truth, uh, then we're willing to move go on that path. Before I go on, I wanted to share with you a, a teaching that uh, that the Buddha gives on uh, what's called the refinement of mind, where he, he describes this process with a very, um, very good parable, if I can find it here. Where, where is it? There it is. Okay. So he, he gives, the Buddha often spoke in analogies and in metaphors, I should say, or similes. Um, and he says, um, here's a simile for the refinement of mind. There are, my friends, gross impurities in gold, such as earth and sand, gravel and grit. And now a skilled goldsmith first pours the gold into a trough and washes, rinses, and cleans it thoroughly. And when the goldsmith has done this, there still remain moderate impurities in the gold, such as fine grit and coarse sand, and then the goldsmith rinses and cleans it again. And when the goldsmith has done this, there still remain minute impurities in the gold, such as fine sand and dust. And now the goldsmith repeats the washing and thereafter only the gold dust remains. And now the goldsmith pours the gold into the melting pot and smelts it, melts it together. But the goldsmith does not yet take it out from the vessel as the dross has not yet been entirely removed and the gold is not yet quite pliant, workable and bright. It is still brittle and does not yet lend itself to molding. But a time comes when the goldsmith repeats the melting so that the flaws are entirely removed. The gold is now quite pliant, workable and bright and it lends itself easily to molding. Whether whatever ornament the goldsmith now wishes to make of it, be it a crown or earrings, a necklace or golden chain, the gold can now be used for that purpose. Similarly, in the case of a practitioner devoted to practice, that's all of us, there may be such gross impurities as unskillful conduct in deeds, words, and thoughts. Such conduct, 
the follower of the way, gives up, puts away, lets go, and relinquishes over time. And when one has abandoned these, there may still remain such impurities of a moderate degree, such as lustful, angry, or violent thoughts. Such thoughts, the follower of the way gives up, puts away, lets go, and relinquishes. And when one has abandoned these, there may still remain such subtle impurities as clinging to relatives, to nation, or to one's reputation. And when one has abandoned these, there may still remain grasping to special states of meditation. And thus, concentration is not yet properly calm or refined. It has not attained to full tranquility, nor has it achieved mental unification. But there comes a time when the practitioner's mind gains firmness within, settles down, becomes unified and concentrated. With such concentration, the practitioner is able to direct the mind to states of higher insight and awakening. You see how he goes from first the conduct, cleaning up our external act and not at least intentionally causing harm or suffering to others. You know, taking the precepts, five precepts, not causing harm through, um, through killing or stealing or uh, sexual exploitation or misconduct or causing harm through our speech or causing harm through uh, intoxicants that uh, cloud the mind um, and using to um, heedlessness. Um, then when one is fairly, of course, we're not talking about saints here, but one is fairly cleaned up one's act externally, there's still all of these thoughts and feelings, as he says, lustful thoughts, violent thoughts, angry thoughts, they're still there um, for many of us, unless you're at the third stage of enlightenment. Um, and then after a while, those start to calm down and quiet down. And then they're still grasping for sweet, delicious meditative states. Just another kind of grasping until finally there is freedom. So this process, if you see it as this ongoing process of purification, then you can be a lot more um, kind and patient and compassionate with the ways that, uh, that the mind still has impurities and, and habits that don't, uh, don't, don't serve us. Um, and this is true, by the way, even if you've had a profound experience of awakening, there's still, for many people, a lot of purification 
to, um, to go through. There is a, a wonderful Zen master from the 12th century, Shanul, uh, who has this teaching, sudden awakening, gradual cultivation. And perhaps you have had your own profound opening, maybe on a retreat or somewhere in your life where uh, something really shook you and made you see things in a whole other way and has impacted you deeply. That's not the end. That you can see and get a glimpse and be very moved and see, oh, it is really possible to see things clearly and have, have deep peace. But then there's that gradual cultivation where there's impurities over time through all the habits that you've practiced that are uh, then part of the, the journey. So the, the process is, uh, is to be able to, to look at all of this stuff, to be willing to look at everything inside and hold it in loving awareness as Eve Song beautifully um, spoke to. That is, you see all the humanness inside, you see all the pettiness and the judgment and the, and the, uh, the wanting and the craving and the obsessions and the sadness and the loneliness and all of that. And you say, oh yes, this too, this is part of being human too. Now, it's the last thing that most of us would want to look at directly, of course. Who wants to look at all their stuff? But it's precisely the way to come to healing. That's the, that's the irony. It's the last thing that we want to look at. And it is, or at least unless we understand what practice is about, and it's the very way to heal. I was with somebody in uh, the last couple of days, actually is this week, who um, she shared with me um, beautiful, let me see if I can pull it up, uh, a beautiful um, understanding about herself um, she's, she's been a very sincere practitioner for, um, for some last number of years, very, very sincere. And, uh, she was somebody who didn't particularly, um, had a hard time with herself. Let's put it that way. But through practice and being willing to look over and over again at all of these things and, and holding it with kindness she said it was okay, I just wanna read a little bit, don't have to identify, of what she's come to. Um, prior to my engagement with the Buddhist path, I had many doubts about the basic nature of my heart qualities, but I don't anymore. I think it is progress that at this point in time, I believe that I'm fundamentally a good person that is interested in growth and well being for myself and others. Yes, I make mistakes, 
but my intentions are good and I have nothing to be ashamed of. Hopefully I will learn from my missteps and do more of what is working and helpful. I was so moved when um, she shared that with me. And perhaps you can have your own story of how over time, perhaps practices helped you hold all of those human parts in you with a bit more kindness and compassion. And she shared with me, it was part of the homework that she, that she was doing in this course on um, uh, self-compassion, I think it was. No, it's not self-compassion. Uh, it was, it's a Dharma course with um, that Gil Franzgel was, was leading. And uh, he assigned an essay from uh, this teacher in New York, uh, Josh Korda. He's a Dharma teacher in New York. And uh, she quoted this. She said, this was the, the thing that really spoke to her how this process works. He says, perhaps the greatest irony of healing is that it occurs when we accept our felt experience, completely accept it, rather than rely on willpower or focused effort to get rid of the unwanted. And this reminds me of a Robert Bly quote that um, I, I love. I've been saying for many years, Robert Bly has this line, um, every part of our personality that we do not learn to accept and embrace will become hostile to us. We don't like our anger. There it is, expending a lot of energy, uh, resisting and trying to uh, push it away. Or our sadness or our loneliness or our fear or our judgment of other or whatever it is. I don't like that part of me. And the typical movement is to push it away. Whereas the healing comes with seeing, oh, yes. And, and this is what that essay said, Josh Korda's essay, that when we're afraid, when we get triggered by things that we're actually, what we're actually talking about is we're afraid of how that trigger makes us feel inside. And there might be anxiety or self-loathing or whatever. And that signals that there's an unmet psychological need underneath. There's something that it's touching that we need some healing for. And the solution is to be unconditionally friendly to both the anxiety and the psychological need underneath. And that will allow for the anxiety to soften and for the resourcefulness to emerge to meet the legitimate psychological need. So there's this paradox when we're willing to touch the places that we get triggered activated and we say, oh, what's going on here? Oh, you're having a really hard time. Oh, there's hurt underneath that anger. Oh, there's fear, that's what's going on. And we can hold it with friendly, loving awareness. There's a healing, the awareness itself 
heals because mindfulness allows for anything to be here. Awareness allows for it all to be here, all held in a space of loving awareness. And that process of purification is both humbling and freeing. Here's a, a passage that I, I've shared here before from Ramdas in uh, from Be Here Now, my the book that uh, got me through it all and got me to the Dharma in 1971. And he says, as you further purify yourself, as you further purify yourself, your impurities will seem grosser and larger. Understand that it's not that you're getting more caught in the illusion. It's just that you're seeing it more clearly. The lions guarding the gates of the temples get fiercer as you proceed towards each inner temple of the pure heart. But of course, the light is brighter too. I know for myself, I didn't like myself very much when I started this. And if somebody would say that it's possible to love yourself, I would have said not in this lifetime. But I'm here to say it's possible. And it's like she said uh, that, that she's fundamentally a good person. For me, it was a profound moment in, uh, in, in metta practice, deep metta practice, where I saw, I saw myself through someone else's eyes and I saw just basically, you know, you're basically a decent human being. That was it. That was all I needed. It wasn't like I needed to be some kind of holy person or saint. It was just, you know, you're a, a, a good guy. Oh. What a relief. And then I knew there was a whole lot of cleaning up and still is cleaning up to do. But knowing that that's who you are, that that's fundamentally who you are, you can be patient with the process. And the vulner vulnerability in letting down your armor uh, to first see it for yourself so you're not hiding from yourself and that you can be real and then the more you can accept yourself, the more you can start to accept others. And then on a deeper and deeper level, you go beyond this sense of self, of James. Am I okay? Yes, maybe I am okay. But then you go further beyond that to even go through the eye where you see, it's just life expressing itself through this form. And you're not trying to prove yourself to anyone or to yourself. I hope they like me. I hope, and I think I'm an okay person. It's just, how could you not be okay when it's just life manifesting through you? <clears throat> There's a, uh, a, a line I love from the um, uh, Course in Miracles, 
that says, uh, believing in your littleness is arrogant because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. Believing in your littleness is arrogant because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. So when you see even beyond this package called you to see, oh, this is a perfect expression of life where there's this paradox where it's both yours, your qualities, your, your uniqueness, and it's not yours because it's just life manifesting through you. And they're both true and both to be acknowledged. And you can celebrate this expression of life without grasping and taking ownership of it. Oh, look at me. Ah, and so it's yours and it's not yours. And little by little, in this process of purification, as the Buddha talked about, that refinement of gold, little by little by little, um, one sees and understands and then realizes, and more and more it becomes who you are. Ajahn Chah has this beautiful uh, teaching. He says, first we hear the Dharma, and then after a while, we practice the Dharma and we understand it. And then the continued development, we realize the Dharma. We really have a, a change of perspective. And continuing that process of development, we become the Dharma. So from hearing the Dharma to understanding the Dharma, to realizing the Dharma, to becoming the Dharma. This is a process that can be humbling, can take a while, requires patience and humility. But what's the alternative? To live in greed, hatred, and delusion? And if you know you're going in the right direction, it becomes a joyful adventure, a joyful journey that not only do you benefit, but everybody who knows you benefits as well. And then you can start seeing that in others and awaken that in them. So maybe I'll just, uh, ask for, for you to reflect a moment and then we'll open it up to a conversation. So just look back on your own journey, whether it's 15 years or 30 years or two months or a couple of weeks. There's something in you that would make you want to come and sit with others on a Thursday night. There's something in you that's pulled you through all of this time, no matter how, the, how many doubts or difficulties and challenges you've had. There's something that's pulled you through. And just looking back on your journey and seeing how you've grown Maybe you take things 
a little less personally. Maybe there's a little bit more kindness towards yourself or others. Maybe a bit more trust, however it is. And as you're seeing that journey that you've been on, celebrate it. Just feel the wholesomeness and see how the sincerity that you put into practice has really bared fruit. And then just know and commit to keep on facing in the right direction. No race, no report card, just humbly seeing one moment after another, as Eve sang in, in her song, just holding this moment of reality and this moment of who this mind-body process is right now, holding it with kindness and with courage and with commitment to waking up. And know that you're doing it not just for yourself, but for everyone in your life and all beings everywhere. So I think I'll stop here and um, just open it up to any comments or questions or things you wanna you wanna share. Just looking at your own journey, anything you want to share about your own process over, over these day, these months, years, decades. And I can't see everyone on the two pages, but uh, you can either raise your hand if you're, well, or if you want to uh, just unmute yourself and speak, you can. I Carol? have on my Carol. Altar. <laughs> what what is that? It's a turtle. I'm uh -huh. very fond of the turtle. And it sits on a compass that's pointed toward the north. Mm. And every time I sit, or almost every time I check to make sure 
it's still going in the right direction. And sometimes I have to correct it a little bit. <laughs> but I think I, I'm really impressed by how long this journey is. And you're right. I mean, I, it obviously, I'm in a very different place now than when I first met you in the 70s. <laughs> And, you know, it just, it takes as long as it takes. <laughs> what else is there to do? What else is there to do? Particularly now, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So you've got the compass and you're, you're always facing your North Star, huh? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I really, um, there is something about the tortoise. You know, it's mm -hmm. the tortoise and the hare, and the tortoise is very slow but steady. Mm -hmm. And here and gets you there eventually. Yeah, <laughs> we hope. Slow and steady is <laughs> the race. Yeah, the Dalai Lama, by the way, he he says. Uh, uh, people in the West are very uh, very impatient with their practice. You know, and uh, he says, if you have to judge the progress of your practice, uh, take it in five or 10 year chunks. Just see any change from 10 years ago. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> Don't say, oh, well, last week I'm, uh, you know, I'm still not enlightened and, I, and I'm, I'm no longer, no better than I was a month ago or, or a week ago. Five or 10 year periods. Sometimes uh, people have called it, uh, McDharma, the disease that we uh, that we get caught in here in the West, you know, fast Dharma. Yeah. yeah. So glad that uh, you and the turtle are still uh, <laughs> still with us all of these years. Uh, yep. It's really great to to see you, Carol. Thank you. Yeah. Good to see you. Who else? If you feel something bubbling, wanting to bubble out of you, uh, you're the one. Let the Dharma use you. Wendy, yeah. Hey, I feel something bubbling. I'm not sure what it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, I'm thinking that if, you know, if, if, you had asked that same question, um, you know, a year ago, I would have probably, you know, very enthusiastically answered it that, you know, that, that, yeah, I've, I've seen, you know, in, in five years and 10 years and 15 years, I've, I've seen, um, you know, changes in myself that I'm so grateful for. I do think that in in times of great challenge, you know, I have, I mean, the challenges we're all living in the midst of now, and, and I have some family, some hard things going on in my family. And it's so um, easy, you know, you can sort of not even realize um, that there's this sort of cloud over your head and you're not, you know, you're seeing through a different, kind of lens off and on. 
And so it's, um, it's good to be reminded, James, <laughs> of, um, of what's gone, what's happened over time. And also to remember that this is temporary I mean, whatever we're going through. It, I mean, it's going to change. It's always does and it will. And, and, and to be kinder, to be kind to myself and all, you know, all the things that are showing up that I don't really want to look at right now inside of myself, you know, I don't want to feel the anxiety. I don't want to feel the upset. I just want to push it away. And it's <laughs> so automatic, you know, and it's there, like, <laughs> there, there's, there's practice again. Right. Right. So any kind of pushing away dukkha. Yeah. So you do little at a time, titrating your titrating your dukkha, but uh, pushing away is, is not nourishing yourself might be a, 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 another way to, to get through the, the hard times in healthy ways. But you're just reminding me it, uh, in that, that same passage from, from Be Here Now, um, this passage uh, is very deep in my, in my being. He says, um, at some stages you will experience a plateau as if everything has stopped. This is a hard point in the journey. Know that once the process has started, it doesn't stop. It only appears to stop from where you're looking. Just keep going. It doesn't really matter whether you think it's happening or not. In fact, the thought it's happening is just another obstacle. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's that's right. That's why for me, facing in the right direction is really, uh, is really the, uh, my North star, so to speak, mm -hmm. not when am I going to get enlightened, but yeah. I, all I can be here is this moment and, and, and meet right. it with, with kindness and presence. And that keeps the whole process going. Mm -hmm. yeah. So thanks. Well, let's see if, um, if there's anybody else, otherwise we'll, um, going once, going twice. Okay, Eve, do you have a, a song for us to, to go out on? Go out on? Sure. Um, yeah, we'll do our, we'll do the song Dedication of Merit. I was thinking during the conversation about how we have so many, so many different tools that we're given in this practice, mindfulness chief among them, but how, how sometimes mindfulness can be inaccessible if we're really dysregulated and, um, and then there's other practices and how, for me, how important the heart practices have been, as I've said here before that we can always turn to um, compassion for the world or self-compassion or both when, when we feel like, you know, lost in, lost in the floods. <laughs> and then, and then also joy, joy is a joy shows up all over the place in the teachings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And just just always remembering that joy shouldn't go to the bottom of our to-do list. <laughs> it's a part of awakening. It's one of the um, awakening, one of the enlightenment factors. It's essential. So even in this time of COVID, seeking joy. Ah, so um, yes, this dedication of merit is so much longer than the Vipassana version of the dedication of merit in it. It mentions compassion and the joy of Sangha as part of the wish um, that we offer out to others and we hold in our own hearts as we dedicate the good energy that we've generated tonight just by being together and, and bringing Dharma to the front of our awareness. May every living be our minds as one and radiant with light. Share the fruits of peace with hearts of goodness, luminous and bright. If people hear and see how hands and hearts can find in giving unity, may our minds awake to great compassion, wisdom, and joy. May kindness find reward, may all who sorrow leave our grief and pain. May this boundless light meet the darkness of our sacred night. Because our hearts are one, this world of pain turns into paradise. May all become compassionate and wise. May all become compassionate